have a little time for the children to think about uh, today's message. And um, I think maybe it's important to remember that even though Jesus had called Simon and James and John and actually Andrew, who isn't mentioned in Luke's gospel, every so often they still kept fishing. So when Jesus calls us, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be called to be a pastor or a deacon or a cantor or organist in the church. It means that we can be called to do what Jesus wants us to do, even if we keep doing what we're usually doing, like going to school, writing papers and studying, and then graduating and hopefully getting a job and moving on. In all of that, we can still do what Jesus tells us to do by keeping after people, making them uh, part of our, of our fellowship, as, as the gospel says, making them fishers after, after people. Um, so the question is, what happens to the fish once the fishers have caught them? Maybe they eat them? They're going to eat them. Absolutely right. Yeah. I was only up on Lake of the Woods once. It's way up in Minnesota, and you have to go through Canada to get there. But you have a lot of walleye fishing. And we'd fish in the morning, and then we'd pull the boat up to one of all the islands in Lake of the Woods. There are hundreds of them. And we'd have what was called shore lunch. And it was mighty tasty, but it was pretty rough on the fish. So we're going to hear today that when our, our lesson is translated, I will make you fish after people. That's not really what Jesus said. But we'll, we'll find out. That's a little bit of a teaser. So on the leaflet that you have, there's something that says, Jesus said, and then you follow what's being, um, the directions that are given to you, and you can figure out what it is that Jesus said. But I'd like for you to listen closely, if you can, to figure out what Jesus really said about being fishers. So... Have any of you ever been fishing? Yeah. You have? Good. Good. Yeah. It's a different kind of fishing. The fishing I did back in the Midwest was usually at a farm pond. And we'd have a pole, and we would bait the hook and toss it out. This isn't that kind of fishing. These guys are fishing with big nets, and they're bringing in the fish. Go ahead. My grandma lives in Canada, and we went to her cottage, which is in the middle of a big lake. River. And the same thing. They, <laughs> the river had so much fish that we had to catch. And um, I didn't catch any. Kelly didn't catch any. So fishing, not really for us. My cousin Maddie, she caught four salmon. Wow, four salmon. Salmon's my favorite fish. Rex doesn't like fish. In Canada, where the fish is good. And you know what? People from Nebraska will go up to Canada so that they can catch catch fish. Because it's, it's amazing up there. And you said they caught a lot. That's just like today's story where the disciples caught a lot of fish. And we'll find out what that did to them when they were on their fishing trip. So... Yeah, you might think about that. The next time you go fishing, you don't even have to fish. Sometimes it's just fun to sit by the shore and watch the waves and be quiet. 
what happens. So let's have a word of prayer, please. Gracious and loving God, you call us to serve you whatever we do. Be with us in all that we do so that people can see your love in us, just as they saw love in Simon Peter and the other disciples. For we ask this in your none precious son's name. Amen. So a lot has happened since last week's gospel lesson. Actually, I feel like this week has been a long week and a lot has happened just this week. But more happened between last week's gospel lesson and this week's gospel lesson. Remember last week's gospel lesson, Jesus gets thrown out of his hometown. And in today's gospel, after leaving Nazareth, Jesus goes to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, which is where today's gospel takes place. And he is teaching with authority in the synagogue. He casts out a demon. He leaves the synagogue and goes to Simon's house. So see, he already knew Simon. He goes to Simon's house and there he rebukes a high fever that Simon's mother-in-law had. And later, Jesus lays hands on many sick people and heals them and continues proclaiming his message. So that brings us up to today's gospel lesson, which is something of a turning point in Jesus' career. Because the last time we heard him preach, he was back in the synagogue at Nazareth. Now he is at the lakeside, and his pulpit is a boat. As one commentator said, when the synagogue was shut, Jesus took to the open road. And that's exactly what happened, kind of like John Wesley. Another commentator suggests that today's story serves as a literary contrast to the episode in Nazareth. Because, here's what, here's what the commentator says, the criticism and rejection of Jesus by his own townspeople now leads to the genuine and personal following of Simon and his companions. It's a polar opposite. To respond as a disciple is to follow Jesus on the way. That following of which will involve the catching alive of other human beings for the reign of God on earth. And we'll come back to that catching alive again. It's important. So Jesus takes to the open road. But even the open road was fairly crowded, and people were pressing in on Jesus. All those folks who had come to hear him and be healed by him and have their life changed by him. So they're along the shore there by the Sea of Galilee. And it always sounded to me as though the, the crowd was so vast it might have pushed Jesus right into the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus glimpses two empty fishing boats nearby. They're on the shore because the fishermen were washing their nets. They had pulled their night shift and they were cleaning up. So Jesus got into the boat that belonged to Simon. Remember, Jesus probably knew Simon from before and asked Simon to push off a little bit from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and talked. Simon must have been something of a captive congregation, wasn't he? Sitting in that boat and doubtless he heard everything that Jesus had to say that day. When Jesus finished, Jesus said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. 
And that seems like something of an abrupt request all of a sudden, and a rather unusual one, since fishing with nets in the daylight would hardly seem to be an effective strategy. The fish are smarter than that. So Peter voices a slight objection, but as he does so, Simon addresses Jesus as Master. Luke uses this title six times for Jesus, perhaps more in place of the traditional rabbi, because Luke was writing for a Greek-speaking audience. So in Luke, disciples use the word master, non-disciples use the word teacher. So Peter raises his slight objection, particularly since they've worked already the whole night shift and they've been cleaning their nets. They're ready to hang it up and go home. Yet, Peter says, and this is a big yet, if you say so, Jesus, I will let down the nets. The old King James Version actually has it closer to the, the original Greek and has Peter saying, yet at your word, yet at your word, I will let down the nets. The results are, of course, impressive, so much so that Simon's business partners, James and John, are called over to help with the catch. And by the way, this is the first time that James and John, those disciples, are mentioned in Luke's Gospel. Seeing the two boats so full of fish that they're beginning to sink, Simon Peter, and this is the only time that Luke uses Simon Peter, both names, Simon Peter falls down in front of Jesus, calls him Lord, and asks Jesus to depart, go away from me, because Peter perceives himself to be a sinful man. That's just like the prophet Isaiah, which we heard in our Hebrew scripture today, who says, woe is me, alas, in the presence of absolute holiness, Peter, too, is overwhelmed by his own unworthiness. As one commentator put it, Peter cried out in that moment when he was overwhelmed by a sudden sense of the divine power and goodness that made his own self seem small and unworthy. Simon felt he could not bear to be in Jesus' presence. Over and over again, my siblings, over and over again, as we read of the holy calling out to the ordinary, the immediate human feeling is usually one of inadequacy, of fear, or of incapacity. So might it be even for us when the Holy Spirit lays a call on our time, on our life, on our way of being in this world. The good news is, of course, Jesus did not depart. Jesus did not go away from Simon. Jesus' first words, rather, were, do not be afraid. Jesus, rather than departing, leaving Peter and his business partners with boats full of fish, Jesus makes a claim on Simon's life. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And we'll come back to that idea of catching people. So they bring their boats up to shore and leave everything.
Here we have a most unusual fish story, don't we? Because the real point of the story is not the fish, but those who are doing the fishing. Their lives are never going to be the same. And I suppose the good news, as well as the daunting news, is that those disciples in the boat aren't the only ones who are being called. Every time we hear a story in our Gospels about the calling of disciples, we must reflect on our own calling, our own vocation. Martin Luther would have us believe that we are called even, and sometimes especially, in the day-to-day -day work that we already do. As Luther puts it, whether we are the maid, the cobbler, or the bishop, we are all called to follow Jesus, to serve and love the neighbor, and thereby proclaim the good news. Like those disciples out on the water, our own call to discipleship may sometimes, in fact, rather often, be accompanied by a sense of inadequacy, insufficiency, or maybe even fear. Like Simon Peter, we may be tired. Anybody here tired? <laughs> they talk about pandemic fatigue for a good reason. Like Simon Peter, we may be tired, having worked all night, yet at Jesus' word. Like Simon Peter, we may think, well, we've tried this before, yet at Jesus' word. Like Simon Peter, we may think, well, this couldn't possibly work, yet at Jesus' word. One commentator says that those disciples out on the water knew very little that day, and Jesus didn't require them to know a whole lot. Here's what the commentator said. The disciples could have no conception of the infinite significance of the one who spoke to them. They could not have passed the most elementary catechism on Christology. But the essential matter was simply that they should say yes when Jesus said, come with me. That is the heart of discipleship always. To become a disciple does not depend on knowledge and learning and even on orthodoxy. It depends on the impulse of the spirit that wants to follow Jesus. And when that impulse is obeyed, all the rest will come. I like to say that the openness to say yes to discipleship is not a matter of passing an IQ test. It's more like passing an EKG. It's a matter of the heart. So what is this about catching people that I've mentioned three times before? I suppose so many of us in Sunday school or maybe in Bible school learned that little song and the accompanying actions, you know, I will make you fishers of men, people, fishers of men, people, and we'd reel in and then we'd pull back, if you follow me. Anybody remember that song from Sunday school or Bible school? And yes, the Greek does mean I will make you fishers after humankind. It's anthropos, not andros. So it really does mean I will make you fishers after humankind. But it's not really how it is. 
engaging though that little song is, it's not really what Jesus was saying. We're going to get into a little Greek here, and we'll do a lot more of that next Sunday, because what we hear in next Sunday's Gospel in English is really very dissimilar to what the original Greek had to say. So the word that in our lesson today is translated as fishing, as in fishing after humankind, really is a word that means to take them alive. Really, to take them alive, like taking captives alive. Or it can even mean to enthrall. And it's only in the most metaphorical sense that it could be translated as fishing. So Jesus was asking his disciples then, and I believe Jesus asks his disciples now to go out among humankind and enthrall them, to take them captive for the redeeming power of the gospel and the transformation of God's kingdom, which is what we pray for every Sunday in our Lord's Prayer. We are to bring them back alive, to enthrall them, like the prophet Amos said, snatched as a brand from the burning. Having witnessed the loving kindness of God in so many contexts, in God's word, in the sacraments, in the communion of saints, and in creation, having witnessed all of God's love there, we are called to go out and, if I may say it, rescue the perishing. Yes, I'm quoting that old hymn of Fanny Crosby's. Usually I don't quote any hymn that was written after 1750, but Pastor Jim's trying to come, come into the, at least the last century, if not this one. So Fanny Crosby wrote this hymn, and I always kind of picture it as being played by the brass quartet from the Salvation Army down on the corner. And the words go like this. They're beautiful. She says, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in mercy from sin and the grave, weep for the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched, touched by a loving heart. Wakened by kindness. Cords that are broken, will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Belonging is believing. Or in a slightly more contemporary fashion, remember that hymn that was so popular 30 or 40 years ago? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Brothers and sisters, that's it. That's it. That's why we're here. That's what it's about. That's what we're talking about. If you think you can't be a witness to your Christianity, the truth of it is you can't stop being a witness. Your only choice is what kind of witness you want to be. One of my social work professors used to always say, 
Your kids are so busy watching you, they can't hear a word you're saying. She had a point. I would propose the world is so busy watching us, they can't hear a word we're saying until they see what it is we're doing. Like those disciples out on the water, down by the shore, may we behold his glory. That's what Epiphany is all about. May we heed his call and follow him. May we rejoice in the new life that we have been given. And may we perceive the selfless love that was shared for us. And may we share that love with the dying, perishing world, witnessing in all that we say, and even more, witnessing in all that we do. That is my prayer for us, in and through the Holy Spirit, in the most holy name of Jesus.